This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget you and you network. You can find that on Instagram, you and you underscore network, where you can find all the shows uh, under the you and you network. Shout out to the you and you network. You know what I'm saying? And all those podcasts that's on you and you network. Think for the you and you network. The head brothers at you and you network. You can check out the socials at you, a n d u underscore network oh with you i felt so bad i can hardly catch my breath i hope it lasts oh it seems like i can finally rest my head on something real i like the way i feel oh if you know me Welcome back to another episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can follow this show on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. That's the best way to keep up with the show. Click the link tray in my bio to get the written word, to contribute to the show, find out everything I have going on. You can click on the link tree in the bio, and that's the best way to keep up with things. Shout out to the UNU Network and all the shows. Separate the two. Reservation for three, three stars, two bars, a taste to consider, Code Sheen, you and you podcast, anything we still have to come in the future. Shout out to that, too. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time. Let's just get right into it. y'all. Let's start off with some with, with some light work, with, with some light news. Black teenager receives one point three million in college scholarships. Mackenzie Thompson has also been accepted to nearly 50 colleges. Mackenzie Thompson is a senior at Westlake High School in Atlanta, Georgia, who has a big future ahead. She has earned over $1.3 million in scholarships. Thompson declared she has Delaware State with $64,000, Xavier with $100,000, Tuskegee University offered her full tuition and books. She has also been accepted to Wingate with 128,000. She has offers from the University of Georgia, Purdue, University of South Carolina, Clemson, and Ohio State. So this young sister got $1.3 million in college scholarship offers from over 50, well, nearly 50 colleges, not one sports scholarship, all academic. Congratulations to her. Excellent, excellent work. Since this story broke, it has been reported that she did decide that she's going to go to Tuskegee. So I believe Tus- Tuskegee is one of the schools that they're going to give her a full ride with books. So she did choose a HBCU. 
this young lady had her pick of colleges. She decided to go to Tuskegee University. I've, I've made an observation. It seems like the HBCU, I don't want to call it trend, but it seems like a lot of younger people are now choosing to go back to HBCUs again. I, I know Deion Sanders, he, he coaches at, I believe, Jackson State. Forgive me, sports fan. Look, I'm not I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan. I'm, I'm not big on all these sports, but I believe uh, the HBCU with Deion Sanders coaches at he was able to land a lot of big recruits that a lot of the major college football programs was was scouting so he you know him being a a, a big superstar and going to coach football at hbcu put a lot of attention on 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 the hbcus from a sports perspective but also i've seen the trim of a lot of younger people choosing to go to hbcus who who don't play sports i mean this sister could have went to any of the big schools Ivy League, you name it. She chose to go to Tuskegee. I got a little age on me. I remember when I was younger, a different world was a thing. So, you know, if you were 80s baby, if you grew up around that time, you grew up watching a different world. If you chose to go to college because of a different world, you know, it made HBCU seem cool. Right. I remember when when Martin was on TV, they would wear like it was a fashion trend to wear a sweater from an HBCU. So Howard Morgan, Grambling, all these HBCUs, you you would watch a lot of the black sitcoms and you would see people wearing sweaters with these schools on them. So it, it would make you a little bit more interested in what is this school? What What's it about? What, what What's going on there? And the comment from, from this young lady was very powerful. She said, look, I have my entire life to be a minority. I want to go to a school where I'm in the majority. So this sister, she knows she has a bright future ahead of her. She knows she's she is a giant in the realm of academics. She knows as soon as she gets out of college, she's going to go into corporate America and probably be the only black face in the room. Hell, she's so smart. She's probably going to be the only black face in the building. So she is smart enough to recognize I have my whole life post college to be the minority in the room. I want to go somewhere where I'm not the minority. I don't want to go somewhere where I'm the token nigger. I want to go somewhere where I could be comfortable around my people and fellowship and make connections and have a good time with people that look like me. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that was a beautiful thing. Another big story. Look, I'm not talking about Will Smith. That's old anyway. <laughs> Y'all could tune in to separate the two and reservation for three and three stars, two bars for all that. Shout out to a taste to consider. Kentanji Brown Jackson, first black woman elected to the Supreme Court how you feel about the sisters how you feel about her I, I have not examined her her legal record I know that she's a judge in DC I have not examined her record I have not examined every case she ever ruled over that's that's not the point here's something that I think gets overlooked that I want people to realize when okay the Supreme Court is a political nomination once you become a Supreme Court judge, you have that seat for life. You have that job until you either resign or die. It can't be taken from you because once you're appointed, no matter if you're politically appointed by Republicans or Democrat uh, or Democrat or mixture, you know, where you can only be appointed by <laughs> one of those. But once you're politically appointed to that seat, it's yours for life. It doesn't have an expiration date. The only way they can take it from you, I believe, is if you get convicted of a felony. Now, most people who on, on the Supreme Court, number one, 
they are very well off. They, they were making good money before they became Supreme Court judges. Number two, they're a lot older. Right. They're over the age of 50. So they're not out here committing committing crimes. They're not out here com- committing credit card scams. <laughs> they're not out here, you know, slinging packs. You know, that's that's not what they do. So the likelihood of they, them committing a felony is very, very low. So you look at the Supreme Court judges, you may notice like, man, most of these people old as it. Well, yeah, they are <laughs> because they, that's a lifetime appointment. You know, don't the only time that, that they elect uh, elect one is when when someone dies. You may know that part. Here's maybe something that you don't know. And I know that's why y'all come here. There used to be a time not too long ago, like up until the late 1980s, whoever had the White House would elect someone to the Supreme Court and that person would be confirmed because everybody would look and say, "Okay, well, you won the election, Republican, or you won the election, Democrat. You got the White House. You get to pick the Supreme Court justice. And then people just confirmed it and went with it because y'all won the election. That used to be how it went. Here's what happened in 1987. Ronald Reagan was president. He nominated a, a man by the name of Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. Robert Bork was very, very conservative. He was far right, as they say. He was far right in the 80s. And I, I'm going to put this in words that, that all my black folks can understand. Robert Bork didn't have no cut cards, right? When he went up for a Supreme Court nomination, people asked him all types of questions. And he was open and honest. He didn't lie. He told people how he felt about women. He told them how he felt about Negras. He told them how he felt about uh, big government and law enforcement. He told everybody how he felt. After they asked him the series of questions, the Democratic Party blocked, went out of their way to block the nomination. They basically said, look, if we elect this guy to the Supreme Court, and I'm quoting a statement from Ted Kennedy, he said women would have to go in back alleys for abortions. Black folks would have to sit at segregated lunch counters. Uh, the police would be able to kick in your door and, you know, terrorize you in the middle of the night. Artists. And writers would be harassed and arrested at the whim of the government. Now, sounds like we we, we got some of Robert Bork's America without Robert Bork. But that's what they were saying in the 1980s. And they said, look, we can't let this guy on the Supreme Court and the Democrats block the nomination. Okay, here's the point. After Robert Bork's nomination didn't get through in 1987, Every Supreme Court justice who has been nominated since then, when they go to answer these questions, they don't answer the questions openly and honestly, no matter if it's been a Republican or a Democrat. They go out of their way to give what is called the politically correct answer. They will go out of their way not to answer the question and give the most PC response possible. Before 1987, they didn't do that. They would really tell you how they felt because they knew, hey, if I'm a Republican and a Republican president nominates me, I got the job. If I'm a Democratic uh, judge and a Democratic president nominates me, I got the job. But after Robert Bork, that all changed. They said, OK, we, we can't tell people how we really feel. Right. We got to be at Manila. We got to be as PC as possible, because if we answer these questions correctly, maybe we'll get the job. 
maybe we won't and the same thing holds true in this uh, hearing for katanji brown jackson she is not i guarantee you she did not answer one question openly and honestly because if she did then she possibly would not have gotten nominated that's not a conviction on her since 1987 that's what they all have done you will never know how judge jackson feels about any of these issues truly until she's in that seat and a case comes across their desk that they have to make a ruling on that's when you'll know how she really feels that's when you know how she really feels about critical race theory that's when you know how she'll she'll really feel about uh injustices against i don't I, i'm just throwing it out there women or whatever whatever they asked her i didn't watch the whole hearing i did see ted cruz up there with a billboard with little white babies talking about well you think these little white babies is racist <laughs> I did see, i did see that and another thing these because these politicians asking these questions know that this person is not gonna they know they're gonna give the pc answer basically it's, it's just become political grandstanding it's it's become an opportunity for these politicians to get in front of cram cameras and let their base know well this is how i feel about critical race theory this is how i feel about child pornography this is how i feel about abortion this is how i feel about law enforcement it don't have nothing to do with the person who is up to be on the supreme court it don't have nothing to do with them trust me it's all about the people asking the questions that's how why it becomes so ridiculous so if you didn't know now you know another thing i wanted to get into this evening is tapping into one's higher self what is that what does that mean let me play a clip to give a little bit more context to it that man would have been a white man we would all know we have the solution his name was Elijah Muhammad and now now you black folks know because he took our mothers and fathers brothers and sisters sons and daughters nieces and nephews aunts and uncles and cousins took them out the gutter hooked to all kinds of drugs all kind of whiskey all kinds of everything with pockmarked faces and bloodshot eyes and when he gave them back to us their faces was as smooth as velvet and their eyes was as white as snow and they walked with a dignity like the sun would touch their head. How did he do it? Rearrange their diet. He took a Malcolm X who was a thug, a pimp, a dope addict and a dope pusher. And when Malcolm left us, he was one of the most honest, ethical human beings that ever lived in the history of this planet. How did the old man do that? Did he send him to Harvard or Yale or MIT or Harvard University? He rearranged his diet and he didn't do no more. Have you ever heard the phrase health is wealth? What does that mean? That means the better you eat, the better you feel. If you've like me, you know, you've been out, you've eaten things you should not have eaten. You've eaten the fries, you've eaten the fast food. You had the dessert after you eat, you may feel all heavy. You may feel sleepy. You just don't feel good. Right? Maybe you have knee problems, you're getting a little older, you have back problems. Maybe you don't see as well. Maybe, you know, things hurt and ache in places, things used to not hurt and ache. Let me tie this in. Tapping into good health means rearranging not only your diet but rearranging how you think when it comes to i'm hungry i want something to eat now. 
That clip I pl played, courtesy of the late great Dick Gregory, speaking on the importance of health and wellness and how Elijah Muhammad had a very strict dietary program for people he was trying to get off of substance abuse. That's part of tapping into one's higher self. I talked about this a while ago on the great UNU podcast. Stream that from the archives. Go to the UNU network page. Click on the link tree in the bio and go to UNU podcast and catch up on all those shows. What is the higher self? We all have two selves in us. We have a higher self and a lower self. Now, the lower self may have addiction issues. The lower self may like bad food. The lower self may like drugs and alcohol. The lower self may be very have carnal desires. The lower self may not want to exercise and work out. The lower self may want to make bad decisions constantly. The decisions that they know are not good for us. The higher self is the opposite. The higher self wants to be healthy. The higher self wants to exercise the mind and the body. The higher self wants to think. The higher self wants to learn. The higher self wants to be a better person. So where do you find a balance? And how can you tap into your higher self more? Okay. I, I know we played a clip earlier when he was referencing Elijah Muhammad. And Elijah Muhammad, he did come out with a book called Eat to Live. where He talked about how better eating leads to a clearer mind, which leads to a clean, cleaner body, which leads to a cleaner spirit, which gives you more energy, which gives you the drive and the ability to make better decisions for yourself. What I'm going to talk about is not necessary theology, right? I'm not going to get into religion. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get in, in this. This ain't magic. This ain't spookism. This isn't even religious, although religion can tie into this. I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm coming back to it. Tapping into one's higher self simply means tapping into one's higher self simply means being the best version of you you can be and i don't care who you are i don't care what you are part of that is going to be diet and exercise i'm not saying you got to train for the olympics i'm not saying you got to become a vegan i'm saying you are going to have to be more conscious and let food be your medicine we ate better we would not need as much medication we would not need to go to the doctor for every little thing some of y'all not going to the doctor anyway when you eat better you have more energy when you have more energy you can be more constructive when you're more constructive you can get more done and you won't feel bad there's a other part of tapping into your higher self that doesn't have anything to do with diet although diet is a big part of it it's the decisions that we make we have to make better decisions for ourselves. We have to make better decisions in our personal life, our professional life, right? our love life, our financial life. How do we do that? Thinking. Critical thinking is important. I don't care what you are. I don't care who you are. If you're an adult, there are decisions that have to be made constantly that affect your life. And we have to make the right decisions in order to get successful results. In order to get successful results, you have to be able to think clearly. Think clearly and use discernment. Use wisdom. Right? If you're keep if if you're constantly doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working, your way ain't working. Try something else. 
That's also tapping into your higher self. It takes discipline and it takes structure. You need discipline. You need structure. Right. I know y'all grown. I know y'all. Y'all adults. I know. Can't nobody tell you what to do. You're going to do what you want to do when you won't do it. But doing what you want to do when you want to do it done put an extra hundred pounds on your behind. Doing what you want to do when you want to do it done got you on diabetes medication. Doing what you want to do when you want to do it done got you tens of thousands of dollars in debt. So maybe it's time to step back and reevaluate things and get on a successful path. And like I said, it's not magic. It's discipline. All right. I'm guilty of it, too. Now, let's go back to it. I don't care how you feel about religion, personally. I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. Your religion is your personal business. I don't care what your religion is or if you have any religion at all. Whatever your religious practices is, you could think that book is right and exact, or you can think that book is a fairy tale and a bunch of nonsense. That's up to you. But let me tell you how religion plays into it. Every religion really has a set of core values, although they may be different. The set of core values is to make you believe that there is a force looking down over you that is going to judge you if you do something wrong. So it puts more pressure on you to tap into your higher self, because most religious texts tell you. If you do the wrong things at the end, there's going to be a punishment. If you do the right things, then there's going to be rewards. I'm breaking it down to the simplest form. So these constructs kind of set you to put set you on a path. That it behooves you to tap into your higher self. It behooves you to treat your neighbor like you would treat yourself. It behooves you to treat a stranger on the street as if he was a brother or a sister and it behooves you I keep saying behoove that's the word of the day it behooves you to be honest and not lie and not steal and not murder and not you know sleep with your best friend's girlfriend even though she got a big behind <laughs> or not sleep with, with, with your homegirl's you know husband even though he's six feet with muscles and you think he's so fine you're not supposed to do those things, right? That's tapping into your carnal, carnal instinct. That's tapping into your lower self, right? Most religious texts, I mean, every religious text that I don't looked at tries to encourage people to tap into their higher selves. I don't care if it's Christianity. I don't care if it's Islam. I don't care if it's Buddhism. Yoga, the principle of yoga is all about stretching and breathing to get the cardiovascular system moving, to get blood circulating so you feel better. And there's a spirituality involved with yoga, but that's tapping into one's higher self. That's really what it's about. Then the nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad was rolling stronger than what they were now. I'm not saying they're not rolling strong now, but when they were at their highest in the 60s, a lot of the allure to the teachings of Elijah Muhammad was not the religious aspect. It was really the social political aspect and tapping into one's higher self. What Dick Gregory said was right. If you have some elders, you can ask them. Elijah Muhammad's programs did have your reputation of cleaning up people who were addicted to drugs, cleaning up people who were addicted to a life of crime, 
taking people from prison, cleaning them up to make sure they would never go back to prison and putting them on what would we would call the straight and narrow path. Let's not forget. Yeah. Malcolm X was a dope dealer. Malcolm X was a was was a pimp. Malcolm X was in them streets. But there was a reason that the nation of Islam philosophy was big in prison because he was using prison as a mechanism to catch black men who had got caught up in that lifestyle because he knew I can clean you up, black man. I can make it so you don't never go back to prison again. I can make it so you don't sell them drugs no more. I can make it so you don't use them drugs no more. I can make it so you can leave that life of crime alone. And it ain't magic. I'm going to show you how to tap into your higher self. I'm going to give you structure and discipline. And it's going to make you a better person for it. Now, some people need that because let's just keep it real. We all black folks. Christianity don't work for everybody. It really don't. Some people need something else in order to get themselves back on the right path. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that piece of it. Another piece I would like to say. Is that, is that everything about it? Well, I guess we might as well go ahead and get, in, get into it. I'm going to close out um, genealogy. A lot of black people in America, we can trace our genealogy back to a certain point and then the records run cold. I'm going to say probably around you can probably trace your family tree back to the late 1800s and then you will find that the records are poorly kept. Right. Civil War ended in 1865. I think once you get to like the late 1800s, you would find that the records are either poorly kept or or not kept at all and a lot of stuff that you may know about your family you may know from like an elderly aunt or you know a grandma or great grandma who who has like an oral tradition of you know who came from where and you know your aunt came from this place and you know he met she, she met this dude and married him and that's you know where your great great granddaddy came from stuff like that that's all black folks also, most black people in America, we all mix with something else. Most of a lot of us got white folks in our family, Native American, a slew of, of a, a slew of other things. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more curious about my genealogy. How did I who did I come from? Not just my mom and my dad. I know them. I, I talk to them, you know, every weekend. But further down the line like all black folks came from somewhere like we just didn't fall out the sky and land you know in Washington D.C. who's what who came from where and like I said at a certain point the records are poorly kept or there are no records at all so over the last few years I have been deliberating whether or not I wanted to get one of these ancestry DNA tests not necessarily to, to tell me who my ancestors are, but I am more curious as to where they come from. I've been going back and forth about it for years. And, for, you know, I would think about it and I would go back and forth and I would deliberate. I'm, I'm going to keep it a buck, y'all. Ultimately, I get mad. I get upset at the mere notion that I got to pay some white people for some information about me. Like, they done stole, 
stole my ancestors, put us through hell. And now here I am in 2022. I got to turn around and pay them so they can tell me where they stole me from. See, that would just really piss me off. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and I probably sit down and record a pod, <laughs> record a podcast, throwing all type of <laughs> Mr. Farrakhan quotes because I was upset. It's like, damn, man, it's a sad situation. I mean, not knowing where you come from before there was a such thing as America. Now, if you talk to white folks, damn, they're all white people. They know like they know where their, you know, where their lineage is before the European ancestors came to America. They could tell you, oh, you know, well, my my peoples came from Germany or they, they came from Ireland. Or they came from, uh, you know, southern England. Most black folks in America, we don't know. So I finally broke down. I went in and paid my money so I can get this genealogy test so I can find out where the hell my lineage came from. And some some stuff I knew, some stuff I didn't know. You know, it came back 79, basically like 79.7% African um, a mixture of African countries in North Africa, including, hold on one second, guys, let me pull this up. All right, guys, I got it right in front of me. So 79.7% African. So 38% Yoruba, which is in Nigeria. That's Nigerian tribe. 15% African Caribbean. Remember that. Uh, over 11% Sierra Leone. Uh, over seven seven point four percent Isan, which is in was it which is also a Nigerian tribe. So total we talk we're talking about a little over forty five percent Nigerian and seven percent Kenyan. And I got eighteen eighteen point six percent European. So one point five percent English, one point eight percent Polish, seven point three percent German, eight percent Spanish. Now, let me tell you a little something about me. I hate talking about myself, but before I took this, before I took this test, I, I didn't give these people any information about like who my parents were, things like that. And it's like, you, you just, you know, name, email, you know, you swab your cheek, send it to us. We'll tell you. Here's what I know. The, the European part, the German, the Polish and the English that does not surprise me because I know that one of my ancestors was a was a white man. Okay. On my mother's side of the family, they come from Kentucky. The white slave owner, Mr. Pittman. Pittman's I hope y'all listening because y'all still live down in Kentucky. Mr. Pittman was a slave owner. He raised tobacco. He had two slaves one of the slaves he sexually assaulted and they had a child from that tragic arrangement and i am directly related to that child that they have right he was the slave master's son on my grandmother's side so i knew i had white people in my family that part i knew so you know, you black in America, it's, it's kind of a head trip when you think about it, because I am directly related to the slave and the slave master. Now, I don't identify with being white by no stretch of the imagination. I mean, have you listened to this show? 
But we do have white folks in our family that are directly linked to the Pittmans because, you know, they owned us. The European, oh, also in the European is 8% Spanish. And remember I said out of the African, I have African Caribbean. My, on my father's side, I told you a little bit about my mother's side, my father's side, my father's father, my grandfather on my father's side was poor Puerto Rican. He was Puerto Rican. So that's where the African Caribbean and the Spanish comes from. Because, of course, Puerto Rico is a country in the Caribbean and they were colonized by the Spanish. So I'm not seeing anything in this report that's really a shocker. Everything makes sense Uh, from the European side. You know, the Spanish is in there from the African side. The African Caribbean is in there. And that's very high. That's 15 percent because I have a direct connection to that. That being my father's father. The only thing that was really surprising I'm almost two percent Punjabi, which is which which is Indian, which is strange. I'm like, who in the hell in my family is is, is Indian? That's that's really weird. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know where, where that come from, but I you know India is right next to Africa, so I mean not that far from Africa, so whatever you know. I don't know everybody, so now I'm no so now I know, you know I, I I know the vicinity of the African countries. You know we talking about Nigeria, we talking about Sierra Leone, Kenya which is not a stretch and then the African Caribbean. So, so the mystery has been solved. So those are all the pieces of me. That's who I am. Don't have too much more. This has been another episode of the unprocessed knowledge podcast. Once again, everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge if you want access to my books available on amazon click the link tree in my bio you want to donate to the show there's a link in there for that i got nfts who knows what else i'll have coming it's springtime now early spring summer is coming so might might throw some new stuff up there for the summertime hit the like button comment tell a friend it's, you know, word of mouth is very important in the podcast business. It's not going to cost you anything. If you like what you see here, repost, tell a friend, tag me, tag the UNU network. Check you next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.